Hey, everybody. Welcome back for season two of the Broken Banquet podcast. This season, we've got more interviews with missionaries around the world, more interviews with authors who have written amazing books about missions, and more conversations about what it means for us to abide with one another. And yes, probably a story or two about Ashley taking a walk, eating food, or having drinks with someone who she now loves. We're so glad you're back. We're glad to be back. And we hope that you will enjoy this episode. Hey, Ashley. Well, hello, Will. How are you? I'm very fine. Thank you. And yourself? I'm good. The sun's out. Sun is out in in Newcastle, Australia. We had a little New Zealand weather here for a couple of hours. The long white cloud followed I having, us. I was having flashbacks to yeah. Auckland. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, but now it's beautiful. Okay. And now yeah. we're inside. And we're inside. Yeah. Yeah. But at least we have a good view. Mm-hmm. Of the backyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so we're continuing our, what should we call this series? Like the oh, yeah. South Pacific World Tour of... The Broken, the Broken Banquet, Banquet South Pacific World Tour 2023. It kind of makes it sound like there's going to be another one there could in be. another year. I mean, so. or we could do like a, you know, Eastern Africa World Tour of 2024. Oh, South Africa? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm good with all of that. Okay, great. Yeah. Central Europe Tour of 2025. You come up with the agenda and the funding, and okay. I'll be there with the microphones. All right. Hey, I'm very excited about who we have on the podcast today. Yeah, who's that? Well, you know our friend John Woodward? Of course. And listeners, you love John Woodward as much as we do by now. And uh, he introduces us to just the best people all over the mm-hmm. world. Yeah. And so today, he's introduced us to a couple that are living here in Newcastle, Australia, mm-hmm. serving with their lives, their God-given talents, and being in ministry together. Mm-hmm. So, Will, we have Alan and Marilyn Todd. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I, I'm self-conscious now about saying your name. Well, Marilyn and Todd Allen. Marilyn and Todd Marilyn Allen, Allen and Mar- Todd. Mar- Marilyn, Allen, and Todd. Yeah. Uh, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. Thanks for that, guys. I was so good earlier. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I get for having three first Alan names. Todd. So there's um there's a couple of guys that I know from they're from Birmingham, Alabama. And when people started talking about them to me before I'd met them, uh, their names are Jay mm-hmm. and Alan. And I was convinced that it was one person whose name was it was a woman and her name was Jane Allen. Because everyone would always talk about Jay and Allen, Jay and Allen, Jay and Allen. And I thought it was one person. Yeah. It wasn't, in fact, one woman. It was two different boys. No. Jay and Allen. Okay. Allen and Jay. See, if they said Jay, Allen and Jay, then I would have. You know, Allen Jay was a Quaker. <laughs> Blue North Carolina. Yeah, I don't know him either. Yeah. Okay, great. So back to our interview. Marilyn um, and Alan Todd are here you. today. Wonderful. Oh, we're How, so thankful. And yeah. you did get that in the right order, too, for this uh, chapter of our lives. Oh, oh perfect. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, welcome to the Broken Banquet Podcast. Thanks. Thanks. It's good to yeah. be here. So we'd love to start off by just getting to know you a little bit. Uh, Will and I are brand new to this. We literally met, I don't know, four and a half minutes ago. You and I? We've known each other for a long time. (laughs) That is true. That is true. But Marilyn and Alan, we met about five and a half minutes ago. Yes, over Krispy Kreme donuts. So, you know. 
We were so happy. So thankful. Because Shreveport doesn't have Krispy Kreme anymore. You have to come to Newcastle, Australia to get a Krispy Kreme donut. <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up in uh, High Point, North Carolina, which is right beside West Salem, North Carolina, which is where Krispy Kreme is from. So grew up eating donuts mm. like crazy. And if there's anybody from Krispy Kreme Donuts that would like to be a corporate sponsor of the Broken Banquet podcast, we will happily mention your donuts in every episode. Every single one. My favorite. We'll even tell you our favorites and maybe they could just start sending them to us. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm totally tagging them in the show notes of this Do episode. It. So we'd love to hear a little bit about just who you are. Get us started on the conversation of how you ended up in Newcastle. Well, we met in Bible college and had 20 plus years going in uh, youth ministry. And she was a nurse and a mom. And so we, I was very happily uh, going to do that for as long as I could, even when the gray hair started to show up. Uh, but we went to camp one year, um, probably mm, 12 years ago or something, and met a guy from Australia, and he was a missionary. And it was the first time we'd ever met anybody from Australia especially missionary. You don't think of Australia as a mission field. So that was our first exposure. And, and then about 10 years after that, um, one of our friends, Jen Wren, had moved here, had joined in with the ministry that our previous missionary friend was a part of. And he was going to be in furlough. Could we sub in and take care of things at the church and the youth group, get to know our church, uh, supporting Jen Wren, wanted to have somebody see eyeball to eyeball what she was doing, how she was doing, how we could be encouraging to her. And so that was our first real taste of Australia. We came as a family. I preached. We worked with the kids at the school and the youth group. Uh, Jen Wren was an amazing tour guide. Oh, she for, is. She I is mean, a great tour guide, especially <laughs> we in Sydney. Experienced yeah. the best uh, New Year's Eve fireworks celebration ever for us, anyway. And so, yeah, that was. Yeah, we got to do that for six weeks. And then when we came home, I was. Something was stirring in my heart. And then Alan just went right back into everything. And I kept wondering, why did we get to experience that? And then uh, some years went by, and finally, I was like, I think we're supposed to come back. And we did. Yeah, so we, we did an assessment. Rob had us come back for to speak at camp. We met some of the other people who were going to be on the team. Looked like a dream team, yeah. really. And so we resigned after 20-some years in uh, Mulberry, Missouri, and we started fundraising, and God blessed us. And this is a crazy story for us, anyway. We were we had just got our full funding, bought our ticket. We're saying goodbye. We were on our goodbye tour. Mm -hmm. And when we uh, heard about this virus going around, right? Uh, I talked to the travel agent, and I said, is there any way we can bump that up a week? And basically gave up saying goodbye to my parents and and that last week and we got on that flight March 20th and as we approached Sydney the pilot announced this is the last flight coming in 
for non-citizens to be allowed into Australia. So we really believe God gave us that heads up and that uh, time to to change the flight. Yeah. Well, this is all I remember so much of this story because of Jen. I think that I came right after you all did. Um, when you were here over the New Year's, I was here right after in that February. And so I got to hear all about you all. And then, of course, following your story, because John and I were connected, and then hearing about y'all landing right as COVID hit, and then figuring out what does mission look like in a brand new country, a brand new culture, a brand new place, everything brand new, and you're just stuck in a quarantine situation for how long it felt like forever I don't... some places had it worse than we did here in newcastle but especially the cities uh, were a lot stricter mm-hmm. on having to stay in their home or not be allowed very far from your home if you're like jogging or something but like a total of three months, you know, off and on as they did. And and there was like the first wave and then there was the second wave and the second wave was a worse lockdown than the the first one. It actually turned out really good for us because at first we found like everything we were going to, we were going to work in the schools, which Al was excited about. I was just going to do because it was a need. And then there's, um, (laughs) and then the church. Church. And Mm -hmm. so all that just changed. And so I am not techie. I am all these things where it was going to have to go. Everything changed to online recording. Mm -hmm. um, A lot of, what's the word? Production. There's a lot of production time involved. And she just sat there at our team meetings going, I don't do any of this. And then uh, when we finally, we got our own rental place. And even when we were staying with someone at first, um, I need people. I need relationship. I need community. And so we just started walking our neighborhood because nobody's coming out of their houses hardly, but there's some few. And we met a Syrian refugee lady first. And, and then we realized, because I talked to someone else, you're like, there's a refugee center in your neighborhood. I'm like, really? And I looked it up and it's a block and a half from our house, like so close. And then uh, they started opening up again. I'm like, I speak American English, but can I come? And then I started meeting women from different parts of the world. Like Syria, but Afghanistan, people from different parts of Africa, and uh, and then I looked and across the street from us, we have several apartments they call units here, and then we started seeing uh, people from other countries living in these, and then we learned that some were getting their PhD, but they have to live simply because they have to pay for it themselves, and that, and so we would, we live at the very end of this, and we're right next to the highway, and there's a walking path. So Al and I had this great strategy: if we're by the kitchen window, he's like, "Hey." Those Ethiopian neighbors, they're walking this way. And if I would go the other way, we'd end up meeting and be like, hey. And so I was like, now, which one are you in? And then we can start visiting and we just becoming very intentional. And it was really sweet because um, they were missing the community from their country. And they weren't getting that here because first world countries, we tend to go to our homes and stay there in the night or that we don't just drop in at people's homes. And so... They're like, come, my house is your house. And so I could stop in all the time in COVID. It's just lonelier anyway. Mm-hmm. And so we, it was really good for me uh, just because I could get to know people. And then it's... Uh, well, and we were able to, during that time, be a conduit of benevolence because oh, of our pastor uh, status. Mm-hmm. We were allowed to make compassion visits. 
And so we could take food to families. If, say, their child had a close contact at school, the entire family had to quarantine for 14 days, and that meant no paycheck, no work. And that affected some families very severely. And so we were able to take food and, and to encourage uh, some of our neighbors just in that way during COVID. And it maybe even accelerated our in, our impact in those communities. And then when people started learning that I interact with a lot of refugees, immigrants, they're like, oh, during COVID, people were culling or going through their houses. You're like, Marilyn? I just sorted through my house. Do you have a place for this? I'm like, oh, send me pictures. And then I was like, yeah, I do. And then it got me into homes. I'm like, hey, I have some stuff. I think this will fit this this child of yours, or I think you this kitchen stuff. And so I got invited and I could go to more homes. And being in the homes is completely different. Mm-hmm. But uh, going to the refugee center is where I meet ladies. And then I can build friendship outside of that. And that's where the beautiful part came. And it just started exploding. And so over that first couple of years, she kept feeling that call. And I'll be honest, as the pastor person, I wanted her to be with me doing what we were doing. And she was like, I really feel like I'm supposed to be doing this with these ladies. And of course, I was involved with the youth group and involved with speaking and involved with scripture class at the school. And for a time, we did a lucky club that one of the elementary schools had these children that would get in trouble during recess and they needed extra volunteers to supervise a game time just for these troubled kids so that everyone else in the school could have a good recess basically. And so we did that together, but over time, Marilyn just felt that conviction and she fought for. I did. I had to fight for it fight for that uh, opportunity to say, you know, I need to step out of the church work and I need to really focus on this outreach. Mm -hmm. And I'll admit now that it absolutely was something that God knew ahead of time with COVID and all the stuff that we walked into, but we didn't. It was a curveball for us, but God, I think, had all of his footprints and fingerprints all over it as we look back. Yeah. I love when ministry happens in ways that there's just, there's absolutely no way that we could have planned it. And that whole time period was just so sort of out of the blue. Nobody could have imagined the scenario that all of a sudden we all found ourselves in and the fact that there were still doors that could open to you. I think that's just, it's incredible. I want to back up a little bit um, because you mentioned when we, when you first started about how your church had a relationship with someone that was already here and sent you all to kind of put eyes on them. I think put eyes on them. I think is the, the phrase that you used. So your home church already had some sort of an understanding of what it means to support missionaries and to have a, a missional relationships that way, and then for you all to become the ones that, that that church, was it the same church that that commissioned or sent you or whatever language you sort of used for that? Can you talk about what the, the mission mentality at your home church is and how it, it leaves those doors open? Well, I think part of what had just happened before we came 
was we recognized that we weren't staying in contact with our missionaries as well as we could. And we weren't being a good home church. Um, Jen had been in Taiwan for 13, 14 years, and we had partnered with her for you know a long time. And so when she came to Australia, it just kind of was a fresh start. And we had a missions theme. And so we tried to have different groups of people in the church adopt and regularly try to contact. I don't know how successful it was long term, but that was our heart for the church to kind of at least let them know on a more of a personal basis that these people are praying for you. These people are caring and our church is not just sending a check. And I think they really want want to do well, but we're just finding that most churches just don't know what to do. And so that's just, they kind of do. And for us, it'd be, I'm similar. <laughs> like, like I can do for a little bit, but then life just gets really busy and all consuming. Yeah. And so unless you have someone really intentional with it, it just kind of doesn't happen. And there are certain people in the church that had a, a real passion for some of our other missionary locations and instigated uh, trips, initiated ministry. And we went to Mexico and we went to Haiti and those missionaries in those places got a lot more of our personal connection just because there were families that had that drive. And so during that, we were trying to uh, raise the awareness of some of the other ones that maybe some of our church families didn't even know we supported. And of course, there are always those organizations that are that don't have a face. They're just a an organization more. And we wanted to try to get people from those organizations to come and so we can have a face. And anyway, all that to say that during that time, uh, we were a part of the group that wanted to support Jen. And that was before she ever invited us to come. That was in 2015. Okay. And now that you're on the other end of that and, and still maintaining those connections, do you feel like in that period of time the church has learned things and is doing things better? I think so, but I'm not there anymore. So I'm not sure how well all the others have been. But I know that I have regular uh, notes and messages from the church encouraging us that they're praying for us. And we've been able to go back uh, and speak there. So for our part, yes. That's great to hear. And that's one of the main things that has motivated the two of us to do this and start a new ministry called Mino Missions. And it's to sort of walk alongside local churches that want to do better. That, that want to rethink what missional relationships mean to them in their church. And so um, we agree that there's, there's a lot of, I think there's hunger. Um, I've said this before, but the, the conversations that I'm having now with volunteers who are coming to Costa Rica and the questions that they're asking are so different from 20 years ago when I started. And so I think people really are trying to be mindful. Um, they want to do it in a way that's healthy and helpful. Of course, there's a lot of literature out there that, that you can that you can find that that talks about so many of the pitfalls that, that you can come across, you know, in, in doing missions in a way that isn't 
uh, mindful and and helpful and healthy. Um, but I'm encouraged to hear your story and that that you came out of a church that was trying to to do that and do it well. Well, you are definitely blessed to have been a part of that church family for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to hear more about because because what I loved hearing about you say, Marilyn, was that this is maybe generalizing what you say, but when you're faithful and obedient to God's calling, knowing that he can use you however you're open uh, to his calling and his leading, and what a difference that makes because when you go into the the mission field with that openness and that humility of serving and then knowing that God can mold you and to make you into how he sees fit, I, I think that's a beautiful testimony of your faithfulness and obedience and how even though you questioned it at the time, Alan, that you were supportive and encouraging to the call for both of your lives to be here. So I want to hear more because John Woodward told us all like he he really was highlighting your um, your relationships with the refugee community. So can you talk a little bit more about how that's evolved uh, over your time here? Just start out with Zara House, I think. Zara House? Start with that and then go from there. Okay. I would go several times a week just to, and it was open just a couple hours a day during COVID and I would just go to build friendships and then I would try to talk to everyone and then eventually God put my heart on one especially and so I tried to be, visit some of the ladies maybe once every two weeks because there were several and there was one that every week I needed is like visit this one, visit this one and so I did and I just started building a relationship and trust and probably about a year, not maybe even less than a year, a year into Well, and she it. stopped going to Zara's house Oh, well, at she some had, point. Yeah, well, we had um, our our daughter was pregnant in America with their first grandchild, and so we were going to miss that because COVID and all that. And so there were some pregnant young ladies there. I'm like, oh, can I, can I be your mom? Can I be my daughter? And so they were just learning English, and so they didn't have all those skills. And then I saw her like a week or two later, even at Zara House. She's like, oh, I told my mom about you, my son, and she's like, she's so happy. Because she's, her mom's worrying about her because her mom won't get to see the grandchild either being over in Afghanistan. And and so we just had uh, this beautiful thing growing. And then um, and some of those cultures over there, uh, I'm just trying to say that, do this carefully. Uh, it can be common for abuse to happen in the home. Very common, yeah. And so um, that was happening. And I, I can notice some markings and things and she's and she make up excuses and and then uh, one day she tested tested me and was like so I have a friend and normally in, in America I would know what that meant right away but here I wasn't sure because different cultures and and then she's like what would and she shared some stories and she's like what would you say what would what 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 you tell this person and I was like okay God I don't know what to say I don't remember what I said I was like let it be the right words and. And then after that, you know, she, she's very careful. She went off, got tea, came back, and she's like, that's me. And so I, I was like, okay. And then I kept going because during COVID, relationships are already intense if you have to stay in. And I knew they were going to be more intense. And so I would still go visit. And I will say that we had them over for dinner before this. And you would never have guessed that he would be this kind of husband very charismatic very friendly 
very generous. And so it just, it was kind of a shock. Well, and then one day, we, yeah, I received a phone call and, and she was sobbing and I couldn't understand her. So I ran over there, well, drove over there and I, it could have been one, more than one thing. Their family was being attacked, you know, in Afghanistan. I was like, oh, someone maybe died. Maybe something's going on in her home again. Maybe she's gotten uh, a beating. And so she was scared and she was outside her home, just pacing back and forth, hand in, hand in her uh, face in her hands. And, and she's like, I, I, I can't go back in there. I can't go back in there. And her husband was walking up and down the street with her little one, granddaughter, same as our little one. And so I just said, well, let's go sit in the car and talk so she could speak freely. And, and he had, he had hurt her again. And so then he, when you wanted her to come inside and she's like, I, I can't, I can't. And so I was just asking him what's going on. He shared his version. I knew it wasn't, I knew it wasn't true. And, but he let me, he gave the baby to me. And so uh, the police had been called by someone else. And again, we don't know their laws and rules here. Neither of us do. And so it was really scary for her. And for, she was even afraid for the safety of her family back at home. Cause all it takes is a phone call. And you can cause problems back in another country if you want to. But she, I just messaged John, like, can I bring her home? And he's like, bring her home. And so then we navigated three months of her, of them living with us. And I learned so much as a crash course of culture, hurt. And also just figuring out the Australian um, pathway for domestic violence and abuse, the AVO, which would be like our... Um, court-ordered restraining, restraining order yeah. Yeah. Uh, that had to be put in place. Um, and so all of those things, and we found out just a lot of the dark side of some of the Afghani community as well, because they just wanted her to go back and pretend nothing happened. And yeah. and so it was just, it was a beautiful time. It was hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we're still very much in contact with her, and so she's, our daughter, and she lives um, away because it was safer and better for her to start over than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, but that was again another door of God. I think you're doing something big here, and I don't know why. Because I was still building relationships with these people, and I love these women. I really do. And uh, we didn't have any training with uh, the Muslim faith and that, and I'm really thankful because. These women uh, don't have the language skills, so I couldn't do any deep theological whatever anyway. It was just, I can only show them the love of Jesus, and I genuinely cared. And I could be a safe person for them. And I think that's the foundation I needed to have. And he knew that if I went in with, I didn't have any knowledge to go with it. I had to just wing it and do what he was telling me to do. And so that's where it's been beautiful and hard all at the same time. Mm. So in the process of having all that going on, we have these other neighbors with their families, and typically, in you know, the last couple of years, there have been a group of six or seven, uh, eight or nine-year-olds that would just play, and, and since we were making friends with some of their parents, we got to where we were familiar with the kids, and then the kids would ask if we wanted to play, and I'm a student pastor, and so a lot of times during COVID, I felt like I was doing a kid's club, yeah. just coming up with games. We play a little soccer, hide and seek. I taught them how to play ninja. Uh, a lot of those old, you know, 
uh, time killer type games yeah. <laughs> and do those well <laughs> but yeah that that created almost this community amongst the children too with us and then with us uh connecting with the parents and so we had bangladesh we had ethiopian we had syrian we had anyway liberian yeah. and several several cultures but they all were together and uh recently we just visited one of the families that had moved moved away. But the connection was still strong enough that they wanted us to come spend the night at their new place four hours away and host us for a weekend. And we just got back from that last week. And it's amazing that uh, we have been given this opportunity to speak into their lives. And it turns out that the, the mom of this family actually went to church when she was in university in India and she was trying to remember this song and it turns out that it was mighty to save back from 2008 so I I YouTubed it we played it on a sunny morning and it was like she was transported back to church even though they're Hindu she still has very meaningful moments and who knows what God will bring about with that connection and with us so this all sounds an awful lot like abiding. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. I like that word. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how God can use relationships and hospitality to simply bond us together. And that bond sounds so strong between all of the people that you've met in your community. And if that is the one and only reason that God brought you to Newcastle, Australia, praise him for for all that you've been able to do to build a community of people um who don't have to be alone who don't have to be alone in this life so i tell you i have spent more time in the kitchen here in australia hosting cooking having people over than i ever did in in student ministry and i i feel like if i had to do it over again i think my student ministry would look different Mm -hmm. too a lot more of the visiting and having people over and maybe maybe less programming though i can't say that that would work in where i was at it's just that now i have a new perspective of ministry and it's actually been really interesting because when my ladies come over they're used to taking care of everything in the home all of a sudden here I am. He comes out. He's more hospitable than I am. He's like, oh, she's like something to drink. It'll put some snacks on the plate. And that, we have learned, is a great, great testimony ministry in itself. And I didn't know until one of my friends who had worked with Muslims in another country, she's like, oh, Maryland. That's huge. And so we're doing all these things not knowing it, but it's just the way it goes. And now they tease her, you know, like when she's going back to uh, for dinner time, they're like, oh, yeah, you're going back and your husband's cooking for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) I love that. Well, our whole premise around the name of this podcast is the the broken banquet. And that, that image of sitting at, at the the banquet table of Christ. And as we come to that table in the kingdom of God, we're all coming as equals. We're all coming to the table, bringing part of who we are from our culture, our place, our being, all of the gifts God's given us is sitting at that table. And I, I find that when you sit down at a table, you're usually looking eye level. It doesn't matter how tall you are, where you're from, what your socioeconomic level is, you're all sitting at that table as equals. And that's our, I think, our dining room table has become 
like our, our ministry. Like that is where we usually have, we prefer like small, a small group. So we'll have one or two people and that's where the conversation. So we would say that make, that fits right in with them. Like it's the table. That's where ministry happens. From the meal to board games yeah. to conversations, conversations. prayer. Yeah. Kay Ferguson, if you're listening, she's my global mission chairperson. The best conversations always happen around the table. I have a, a, a really sweet story. While we were selling stuff for our, our Afghani daughter, I'll say, we, she was starting over and she's like, just sell things, sell things. And I met one of my sweetest, dearest friends through a Facebook marketplace. Um, uh, she came to buy something and she'll say she thought it was overpriced. And I was like, oh, she didn't have enough money. But I was like, oh, it's only this price. God is good. She's like, God is good. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's not, yeah. So I did again she's later on something. She's not Muslim. I was like, oh, I was like, God is good. She's like, oh, he's so good. I'm like, oh, that's it. <laughs> like, I'm Christian. She's like, I'm Christian. And she had been praying for three years for God to give her a Christian friend oh. in the neighborhood, in the neighborhood. And so um, I followed her back to her house because sometimes the housing is confusing when you have all these units and that. And this beautiful thing happened. And now she's, she's my only Middle Eastern Christian friend. And she has taught me so much about spiritual warfare. Um, she's just taught me so much in her faith because uh, I've learned that God speaks to people in different ways. So dreams, visions, that's very real. And she has shared some with me and that strengthens my faith because uh, I take God out of my box. I take God out of my American culture. Like he is way bigger and, and can reveal himself in really beautiful ways. So I've grown tremendously with, through her friendship. And she would, so I spent yesterday with her and it, that's been a really full on day. So this, this week has been really hard because I hold a lot of hard stories, a lot of them. And sometimes I can handle that well. And other days it's just exhausting. But I also know it's a very sacred place. Do you think that because you all aren't from here, you're not Australians, you're more sensitive to other people around you who also aren't from here? Do you think if you had lived in Australia your whole lives and were in that same neighborhood under the same circumstances, you would have responded the way that you did? Oh, no. Even if this, we lived in America and had all these immigrants come, it wouldn't be the same. So coming here, I think whether we get to stay or not, we're forever changed. And we have to deal with visas. Uh, when my dad died, I couldn't go back for this funeral. My friends couldn't go back and visit there. We missed out on the birth of our first two grandchildren. Just a taste of what they experienced. Were they experiencing those kind of that kind of loss or grieving for developed world that would just seem like I can't believe that that's horrible for my friends that's every day and so I am thankful I got to experience we got to experience that that hurt or those and when I can go up to someone when I'm at the uh, refugee center I can say oh I'm from America where are you from I've been here three years now or that and say how long have you been here or and it completely changes it because when I was in America I saw someone I'm like I'm from America I can't use that same phrase because I don't belong here either. And so there's a little uh, unity, commonality that happens. That's a really good question. Uh, and, and I will just throw in, we're, we don't ignore the Aussies. Um, <laughs> our next door neighbors, true blue Aussies. And it has taken all of our two and a half, three years so far to become the French that we are, the neighbors that we are. And but much slower because they're much more cautious, much more reserved and less likely to just open their arms in, in uh, friendship, 
even to a next door neighbor. Uh, and we're good neighbors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, Marilyn went to the gym starting off again somewhat to find community and to have a healthy routine. And we are still connected to some of the students that she went to the gym with. And they have been kind of adopted us as American parents. One was a Christian, one wasn't. But now the young man who wasn't uh, uses words like we and us when we talk about Jesus. And he has started to go to a church in his area and he's gone in asked to go to church with us a couple of times. So we feel like, okay, well, that's at least one for sure that we know has gone from uh, darkness to light and who really is embracing what it is to follow Jesus, what it looks like to be a Christian young man in Australia. That's encouraging to us to, to know that, okay, this kid that started out in a gym with Marilyn ends up, uh, you know, we invite them to a Thanksgiving dinner, which is not an Aussie thing. Mm -hmm. And from that, we just continue to have dinners together. And now we're close friends with his parents and, and we'll see what God does with that, uh, in years to come, but the Aussies are not left out is all I'm saying. <laughs> sure. Sure. So if the commonality between you all and, and some of the people in your neighborhood, these refugees that you're, that you're being present with is the fact that regardless of where you all are from, you're not from here. So that's sort of a starting point. We've, we've already talked a couple of times in the last couple of weeks about how there's so many things that are similar about we were in New Zealand and now here in Australia, it kind of looks the same. Um, there's a lot that just, it, it's kind of easy to be here. But John uh, Woodward was the first one who said, but, you know, the missionaries who come here experience that at first until all of a sudden they sort of crash into something cultural that you couldn't see coming because it's not as obvious as if you'd gone you know, to many other places in the world where as soon as you get off the plane, it's just like, whoa, I'm not at home anymore. You know what I mean? Or what are some of those things that, that you all have crashed into in regards to just being here in Australia with Australian neighbors and, and then, you know, surrounded by, Australians, or are there things that that you were surprised? Kind of all of a sudden, oh yeah, we're not in Missouri. Well, I know when we first arrived, you don't feel like you're in culture shock because of the similarities, and the they do speak English, even though it's a bit uh, different. I think we've we described it as like the death of a thousand cuts type culture shock, where it's just a lot of little things, the spellings of words. I mean, she went to the grocery store during that period of time and just was overwhelmed by not knowing what brands that we're used I to. I just started crying in the yogurt aisle. And I just <laughs> wanted to leave the stores like, I'll just starve. I'm okay. Or the bird sounds, the yes. air, this um Driving on the other side, which doesn't seem like a lot, but oh, a lot. hitting your wipers when you're trying to turn or, you know, uh, just everything, uh, trying to gain where you're judging your driving on in the lane. I, I so. curb checked so many times at first turning, especially turning right. 
Yeah, I would yeah. catch that tire on the on the median. Oh man, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> you mentioned the birds. I I told my wife after we'd been here for a couple of days. I said it's so weird. It looks the same, but it sounds totally different because we're surrounded where we live in Costa Rica. There's just there's birds everywhere, and you know you get so used to those sounds when all of a sudden those animals that kind of look the same but are making completely different sounds it's like twilight zone it's true i noticed that too and even just when you're washing your hair like it's different stuff in the water it's like why does my head itch or uh just even buying clothes they have lots of things but it's beach culture and so being mid midwest modest i'm like i don't know how to buy clothes here Uh, lots of just little things that First world problems, get it. I totally get that. And oh, even, yeah, shopping with um, things close at early. Yeah. Five o'clock. Right. Three thirty. If you're going to go have coffee with somebody, you better get there by two thirty or three o'clock because it that shuts down. It's crazy to me. And yeah. on the weekend, you go to the mall, four thirty five, things are shut down. And so I was like, oh, this is really different, hmm. which has also been very. Good, because then we have evenings to spend time with people because their schedules are not as crazy. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a, something that's really been beautiful about that. But it's just, again, just changing all those little things. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about church culture? Ashley and I both grew up in the South, and, mm-hmm. and there's you know a church every 200 feet. So what's different about being a Christian in Australia than being a Christian in Missouri? Yes, yeah. Well, I think the first thing that uh, we found is that there are churches, more than we thought, but the average member is a good member if they're showing up once or twice a month. That's normal. Like, so for us, once or twice a month, you know, you're kind of falling away. (laughs) But for them, there's so many. Yeah. (laughs) But for here, once or twice is normal because things like family gatherings or sports events or uh, going to the beach or whatever takes precedence over a Sunday morning Mm -hmm. worship. And a lot of the people we have met don't have spouses who are believers. Mm -hmm. And so they're divided even with that in their minds, you know, going to church once or twice a month is pretty good for them. And and socially outside of the church, once like just interacting in the community, how challenging is that when it's not the air that just everybody breathes? Right. Well, I found that church happens, it seems like more outs- outside of a Sunday. Mm-hmm. So Sunday, since not everybody shows, if you don't spend time with people, again, dinner tables, mm-hmm. If you don't spend time with them, then you're missing out on a lot because Sundays, they're good, but the deep conversations don't happen there. Friendships don't happen there. Yeah, because it stays superficial. And so when you get around the table, theirs or ours or whatever. And I think that's true in America, too. I agree. Yeah, yeah. That's where it feels safe and you can go there. You can go with those deep questions and that. And so, again, we've... A different shift in a lot of the ways that we think in ministry has has happened, and so I. But I would say yeah. in the community, you do feel like you're seeing a unicorn anytime someone does seem to express something of faith or a belief or wearing some sort of Christian T-shirt. Those are rare, and so when you do bump into somebody and you end up having a faith in common, 
you do feel like you've seen a unicorn and you're like, yeah, look, <laughs> I'm not a Christian today. Oh, there's also, it's also a culture of comfort. So you have coffee dates at coffee shops. Coffee shops are really big. Um, you have, it's beautiful weather. I mean, it's, it's about comfort and me. And so if you have enough money and you're going to do all these fun things in that, why do I need God? Mm-hmm. So it's not one where they're uh, experience war or that kind of thing. So it's a different, Satan uses his own ways. And it's one of materialism and comfort and not thinking of thinking outside of that as much. This is sounding popular. more and more like the North American church. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think it's growing. It's becoming more Definitely. like a Australian church. Yeah. It's interesting to think about how the sort of that, that dynamic is the same. What's different is the sort of church history in these two different settings and how under the same current circumstances, it's being lived out in different ways. Yep. Good. Well, and there's so, there's so much, uh, trending that if you're just nice, if you're just generous, that's better almost in a lot of people's eyes in our culture here than a religion. A religion tends to divide and condemn and be negative. But if you're somebody who just volunteers, if you're just somebody who gives money, or if you're just somebody who's out there, you know, trying to promote love, you're seen as better than those. Which is also a complete misunderstanding of what the Christian faith is about, right? But it, because it's been sort of commoditized that way, that it's, it's just about being a good person so you go to heaven. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> But if that's what the world has been told, then, well, there's a lot of ways to be a good person without appearing to be, you know, judgmental and have standards and all kinds of other things. But but it's just been a lot of false advertising. Yeah. And so the culture will tend to land on the one or two topics where we differ Mm -hmm. and they'll say, oh, look, see, you're just a hateful, condemning group of whatever. Mm -hmm. And... That's what they want to find. That's what they want to see, and they will find it. You'll find what you're looking for. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So we are in that culture where we're trying to live out basic, loving, kind relationships before they may even know that we're Christians so that when they find out we're Christians, they have this foundation built of friendship and value system that they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense now because, oh, yeah, you're a good Christian. We have to start. Is, for us here in this culture, it's about relationships. Mm-hmm. We can't just go in there with guns blazing. Like, if I don't love them genuinely, whether they accept Christ or not, then they're not going to listen. Well, and at the end of the day, really what, what matters, what is a more powerful testimony? Is it how many Sundays a month I'm sitting in a pew, or is it, how I'm treating the refugees that live across the street from me. And for the people, for my neighbors around me, what's going to matter more to them? The fact that they see me driving off every Sunday morning right on schedule, or the fact that they see me welcoming people into my home and, and offering them hospitality and generosity. Um, so it's almost, I mean, it's not almost, it is the more important thing. And they we noticed. So. Yeah, we agree. And they noticed. They noticed, and they would ask questions sometimes. And having to protect the person's safety and privacy sure. was like, oh, it's just a friend. She needs a place to stay. But they knew. Yeah. And so we've learned that that spoke volumes. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. Well done. All right, well, 
It's getting warm in here. It is getting a little warm in here. It is getting warm in here. Figure cooking. But but thank you guys for for taking the time to come and share a little bit of your story with us, and I yeah. um, can't wait for for the listeners to hear it. And we're grateful to John Woodward once again for bringing good people into our lives. Yeah. I wanted to ask one more question: What's something that you're really looking forward to in the next season of ministry? That's a good question. I we don't know what the next season is. Because our visa ends in September. And yeah. because of our age and limited, we're not sure if we get a stay or not. So I think it's going to be, I th- we have a confidence that it doesn't matter if this season ends. We learned so much that he's going to use what we learned mm-hmm. for where he sends us next. And so we, I think there's peace in that. I do think that it will be hard to go back to a located ministry again after this. We'd have to do things differently. We couldn't do it the way we've always done it in the past. Short term, we're looking forward to our children visiting us. Just having them here for a bit will be so nice. And then next year, we're going to explore our visa options. We're seeing what the Lord opens up. Sounds good. I I knew about the the visa thing. John had been talking about the visa, so I was just curious to know. And cut it out. <laughs> I don't. I don't feel a worry. I think sometimes she feels more worried about it. It's just the heaviness of starting over, and I'm very relational, so that means yeah. ending well, having mm. to start over again, and being here and all the people's invested in. It's heavy. It's heavy stuff. But knowing I can do it again, mm. but I'm not the same person I was before. I get tired a lot faster emotionally because it's other languages as well i'm trying to learn one language and it's really hard because they don't have a school for it and i go to their classes which they're teaching their women who don't read or write in their language and so <laughs> it's been it's a hot mess uh, that's not my point what's my point the next yeah. season oh the next season yeah so i it's the relationship part trying to stay engaged honestly without shutting down or starting to back off i'm trying to still stay all in Knowing that. Well, and I feel like God's okay. already given us taste of some of that transition because some of the kids club kids have moved away. They, you know, their dads have, and parents have gotten positions and transferred. And so now we don't have that group anymore. It's a little sad. But we have some new neighbors. Well, Alan, Marilyn, thank you so much for being on the break and make what thank we you. appreciate you. Thank and you. We thank love you. everything that God is doing through you and with you in this season of ministry and for whatever seasons are to come. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Bye, Will. Bye, Ashley. <laughs> You've been listening to The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast.